So we have some questions here. First question, why did the Buddha teach meditation in the laying position? What is the purpose? So far I've only been taught to do sitting and walking meditation. Well, the Buddha mentioned the four postures of the body because the body has these four postures. I mean, it's also got, he says, the stretching, sitting, walking, reclining, um, standing, stretching, leaning. (laughs) So the idea is it's everything. (laughs) Yeah, everything. But the most, um, ones we can most easily establish Sati around are ones that are either stable, such as standing or sitting or reclining, or repetitive, such as walking, because it's one step, two step, three step, same thing. Not exactly the same, but it's a, you know, because it's always slightly different. But you begin, oh, that's that. You begin to tune into the particular theme. It's a repeating theme. If you're doing breath meditation, it's rather the same. It's one breath, two breaths. It's actually only one breath from birth to death, but it keeps changing. But it's a track, like walking, that you can you can stay with. You can stay with that track, right? So that staying with, uh, that's one of the... Um, aspects of sati, the ability to, to stay with something and right mindfulness, staying with something that's skillful, yeah, useful, and staying with it with the right intention. Intention is to dispel what's obstructive and rejoice and expand what's supportive, linger in it. Now, really, if we seek our own welfare, we should not just confine this experience to sitting and standing, because we do other things. (laughs) So you don't want your cultivation just to be based upon, oh, sorry, sitting and walking. What happens when you're not sitting and walking? Do you just drop everything? (laughs) Go crazy? (laughs) So we want to get our practice to cover all the possibilities the body can come into so we can stay with the body because mindfulness of body bears great fruit. Without it, our mindfulness is very leaky. It breaks up easily. This performs a solid, solid quality. You want to cover everything with that. Okay, so you don't see walk, you don't see standing very much, you don't see reclining very much. I'll agree with you, you don't see it very much. Uh, I think partly reclining takes a lot more space. Often people are sitting in meditation halls, you know, so there's not so much space, but I feel it's important. Partly because it's not instructed to actually fill in the gaps. Yeah. Like, Everybody teaches sitting. I can do sitting. (laughs) If 
but I want to fill in the gaps, you know, that you're not getting anywhere else. <clears throat> and they have particular qualities to them. Now, if you notice, you see, see Buddha images, you'll see there's a lot of sitting Buddha images, but there are also standing Buddha images, and there are walking Buddha images, and there are reclining Buddha images. This is not something that's avant-garde, you know. <laughs> it's like... And there, there are, right? You see, often the Buddha is walking, got a hand up. It's a protective gesture, fearlessness. Yeah. Samadhi mudra sitting. Yeah. 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 Walking, standing. The Buddha can be standing two hands. So see, this one, it means repelling Mara, stop everything. <laughs> the standing, it becomes like a tree. You know, like, I'm not moving, I'm standing against a host of Mara, you know. I'm on my own two feet, I'm unswayed, I'm not knocked over, I'm unbowed. So it's got a firmness to it. And because we're, we're both, the body is there, but also, if you've got to get subtly, the quality of balance, which is not exactly a sensation. Balance is almost like an absence of sensations, just the quality of clear attentiveness. That's a very beautiful place to find and to know. Because then you can sense when you're stressed or agitated, you can drop it, return to balance. It's right there. Okay. So clearly these Buddha images are there. The Buddha obviously lay down, stood up, walked and sat like we do. So let's do it mindfully. <clears throat> now with reclining, this is often associated with the Buddha's parinibbana, the ending, the great release from samsara. Yeah, many of us, I expect most of us, will end our days lying down. <laughs> yeah. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, there's a particular energy that occurs when you lie down, when you recline, and it's much softer. Energy softens. Compared with standing, which is quite strong. Walking is dynamic, mobile, activated, activated. Sitting is collecting, collecting energy, collecting, rebuilding energy. You've got the ground holding you up, chest open, you know, gathering, samadhi. So these four postures almost are like slightly different expressions of energy. Uh, samadhi is, uh, sitting is very much about collecting, gathering, and you can, some people can sit for hours. Because it's a, it's, it's a very good position because your body is carried by the earth. And if you get the balance, which you've learned in standing, and a, use that when you sit, then you don't feel your body doesn't slip over, you don't feel tired, 
If you do, you can use that reminder of the standing to bring yourself back into balance. And then clearly with sitting, you can turn down the external sense consciousness. Standing, you've got to have your eyes open, a little bit open anyway. You've got to aware of the space around you. And you're standing within that. So you notice it, but you're not drawn out. You can see, but you're not looking at anything. You can hear, but you're not listening. You stand collected within the world, but not engaged with it. Walking. Now you're walking is a really wonderful meditation because when you walk, it's, it's like you're engaging with the world around you to a degree. Right? When you walk, you've got the space floor beneath you, the space around you, sights are coming past, people are walking past, sights, sounds are moving past, there you are in your vehicle cruising along with things grabbing at your attention. And your practice then is, I can see it, but I'm not looking at it. I can walk, I'm not driven by it. I'm not chasing it. I can keep moving, but I'm not driven. I can hear, but I'm not listening. So again, it's a really wonderful practice to move through the world without getting oblivious to it, but not stuck in it. And it really begins to give us this freedom within the world in which we live. It's a beautiful meditation walking. But don't leave it in your feet. <laughs> Walking's whole body. Then you get the benefit. You can walk down the street, you can see things, hear things, see people. And just, then you choose what you want to engage with. Where you want to go, you choose. The point of walking is also every step we've got that choice, which direction you want to go in. Yeah? Of course, mostly we're walking straight. But I never said that. You could walk. But what it offers is the possibility for that autonomy. I want to walk at this speed. This feels comfortable. I want to turn in that direction. 15 paces is enough. I want to stop. Yeah? So this is really important for getting that sense of autonomy, not oblivious to the world, but choosing what you want to engage with at your own time, at your own pace, in accordance with what's helpful. So we're learning this. And you reckon there's a lot of stuff you can just let Okay, reclining. What does reclining do? Energy goes softer. Uh, and this is more like birth. When we're born, we're on our back. So reclining can take us to some very deep, very fundamental memories. Not just memories, but senses. What it's like just when you wake up in the morning. What it could be like anyway, just that sense of before all the encumbrances of time, place, identity, 
got to make things, it's just you're present, you're aware, and your energy is soft. It's not rushing, it's not forming anything. You can let things dissolve because you're being carried by the earth and you have space above you. So important then you learn how to rest without falling asleep. Uh, This is where we release activity, where the Buddha released activity, released his chetana, say parinibbana, the release of all chetana, all volition, releasing it. Now, I'm saying rest but not sleep. Sleep is not necessarily... (laughs) It's somewhat restful, but it's not necessarily deeply restful. Because just because we lie down and switch off the light and put our head on a pillow, energy can still be churning away. Thinking, dreaming, tossing, turning, half awake, half asleep. Because although you've switched off, apparently, the external light, (laughs) consciousness, the internal is still active. It's it's tangled. It's like the tangle of the day. The tangle of your life has not been undone. So it's still tangling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so then reclining meditation is not a casual process of just fall asleep. No, it's actually a careful process of working, working or exploring whole body energy as if you're carefully smoothing, like you're combing your hair. Yeah carefully untangling the energies in your system by beginning to open the feet, the hands, the face, body and sweeping your attention through this body just like you're carefully combing or grooming your hair taking the tangles and the twists out. So that's wakeful it's like putting everything to rest, like you're cleaning the house. <laughs> cleaning the house, and you clean, get rid of the clutter. Particularly, of course, when you come to the end of your day, or what you call the end of your day, uh, you want to go to, to sleep. Right? Now remember, sleep is an illusion. To a certain extent, it's not just, that's it, blank, until next morning. Oh no, it's not at all that way, as you know. It's now we're going to enter another, something else, where we don't have much responsibility anymore. (laughs) And that's kind of attractive, you know, I don't have to be responsible. But it also means you just dumped into a tangled mess. (laughs) So you just kind of go oblivious on. 
but it doesn't resolve it. So sleep is... Obviously, if we want to get some sleep, but it's not a drug to just blot out the discomfort of the day. It's a time to carefully steady your energies bodily and also your attitudes. Have I got any regret? Clean it. Anybody I have ill will with? Clean it. Anything I can feel gladdened by, bring it on. Anything I feel happy with, bring it on. Remember my virtue, remember those I care for, bring it on. So you're untangling the emotional body also. Yeah? So, then you see the two go together, don't they? The emotional body and the what I call the inner body or the subtle body, the energy body, go together, then we can peacefully release. It's like, you know, imagine the chitta's like a boat resting on this stream of consciousness. Now if that stream is all choppy and tangly with rapids and rocks (laughs) and you just Okay, goodbye, Chitta. See you in the morning. <laughs> Crash, bang. You wake up screaming in the middle of the night. <laughs> Nightmares. Wake up in the morning. Oh, what's going on? You, know? you just let your Chitta, the boat, into this, you know, un- river with all kinds of tangles and rapids and rocks in it. And could we make that stream a little more carefully attended to? <laughs> the big rocks of ill will or grudge or fear removed, the energy is calm, then okay, Chitta, here you go, take care, I'm not going to let go immediately, I'm going to stay with it and until you feel it's time to go, to rest, and then you're going to come back again. So it's said, you know, the Buddha says, when one reclines, one reclines, Carefully, when it's time for the chitta to be rested, allowed to flow down the stream, mind consciousness, try to make the mind consciousness pure as best you can, with the reminder, come back. (laughs) When you come back, when it's time to wake up, come back. And Chittil knows it. It knows that. And it knows you want it back. So it comes back and you wake up. So you recline with a reminder that you're going to wake up sooner or later. What you come back with is partly dependent upon where you let your Chitta go. So if you left it into a a swamp, it's going to come back feeling sticky and swampy. So ideally, while you have the possibility to, to sustain responsible sati, 
you carefully spend those 10, 15 minutes or so just tidying up, reclining. The system then rests and can rebuild itself and refresh when you come back. This is what I hope reclining can do for you. Since you're going to recline sooner or later anyway, let's bring our sati with it. Precept about not using higher luxurious beds to recline on. Well, this is a kind of, this is a very ancient um, formulation, you know. And clearly, imagine the time of the Buddha in India, not bed. I mean, the king had a bed, but most people just lies on a mat on the floor. <laughs> you know, I mean, who had a bed? <laughs> so certainly the monks didn't have beds, they just lie down on the ground. Buddha just lie on a heap of grass. So it means like lavish, you know, really, hey, this is style. This is high style. Everybody has beds now. So we're saying what it really means is don't go to bed with a sense of just indulgence and oblivion, just lolling around casually. So it's more the intention. Um, High luxurious is a kind of phrase that means it's really lavish. Now, most people's beds are just pretty standard, normal thing. Personally, I personally prefer a rather firmer surface, just it seems good for the back to not slump into a into a kind of turning too soft. But that's my personal preference. Could you finally speak about the different types of mind? I'm aware there's not one single type of mind. But it is clear to me that my mind has a propensity and inclination to a certain emotion. Like mine is prone to fear and negativity. My friend is more prone, bright, but prone to anger. How do we apply the methods correctly? I have tried loving kindness, but it never seems enough to even go beyond myself. It's like the negativity of fear only increases. <clears throat> well, what is mind? Um, there's really, it's, it's a bit of a trick question because there's no such thing. <laughs> there are mental, different mental activities that occur within awareness. So... Mind is variable, constantly variable. Uh, uh, everything we can recognize that has some property or quality to it is changing and shifting. And there are many of them. Yeah. Changing and shifting properties. So a person mentions things like fear, negativity. These are shifting, changing properties. Some minds experience expansiveness, some are more contracted, some have got greater vigor, some think a lot, some have powerful emotions. There's a whole kind of ecosystem of mentality that all these forms are rising and passing. 
Uh, but there is certain, uh, we know that, there are certain patterns that occur. So it's a pattern so we, we recognize, oh, here I'm, I'm anxious. There's an anxiety pattern comes back very often, seen through a dominant, or a fear pattern, or a passion pattern, easily passionate, easily angry, easily negative, easily saddened, you know, tendencies, called tendencies. And these, these mental proclivities are called sankhara, or citta sankhara. These are these are repeated patterns and energies that uh, the citta takes on or arise within citta. Citta yeah. itself is almost like a place. Yeah. It's not really a thing at all. It's like a, a territory or a place, a domain through which these forms pass. I mean, for simplicity's sake, we talk about mind, we talk about citta, but really they're not things at all. They're, they're territories, places. So, when we notice a particular tendencies are repeated, and so they become quite familiar, to the point in which we think, my mind is always like this, and then it becomes, I am like this, because it becomes established and it's very easy for established pattern is rather like a current in the river. A current in the river. It attracts the rest of the water towards it. Yeah? So all the, everything flows into that current because it's the strong current. Yeah? Yeah. And all the items in the water flow into that because it's the strong current. And so we might So that strength it's like a certain gravity or attraction to it. It's not pleasant necessarily, but it's like a gripping tide that pulls. And this is a sankhara. Uh, and uh, so this is not a small matter, this is in fact a major matter. The One of the major matters is how to release these powerful sankharas because they they form our dispositions, they, they encourage certain behaviors, and uh, they become life messages that bind. Then the territory of citta becomes narrow by that, into those tendencies. So the fundamental, and of course, in accordance with karma and cause and effect, Karma, so sankharas are karma. Sometimes they're called karma formations. They're generated through actions or through subtle intentions or inclinations and they're sustained through subtle inclinations and they produce and further subtle inclinations such as the tendency to feel anxious or negative. When we feel anxious and negative, we see a world around us that seems negative. We see other people in negative light. We look at ourselves in negative light. We act towards ourselves in a negative way. We say, there's something wrong with me. I'm always like this. Why shouldn't we be so negative? 
Well, now you're being negative about your negativity. <laughs> and then you complain about how negative, what a negative person I am. Well, that's more negativity. <laughs> so this current is extremely, has the potential to gather all our action energy into its trend. So everything forms into that. Even the ways we think of overcoming it are actually infused with the same quality. I should not feel this. That's a negative current, isn't it? Now, I understand, clearly, one would like to not have this, but negativity is not going to help. <laughs> because it's part of the same problem. So instead, you have to say, okay, negativity, change the attitude. How interesting. <laughs> what? <laughs> How interesting. What do you mean interesting? It's interesting. What's this? What does it do? What happens in your body? What parts of your body seem activated? Is it in your eyes? In your head? Your skin? So you're not, you're not trying to get rid of it, you're just trying to explore. What happens to my breathing? Can I breathe freely and comfortably? How does it affect that? And what happens if I just say, it doesn't matter how negative you feel, you can breathe out. You don't have to fix it, you don't have to change it. You don't have to fix it, you don't have to change it. Breathing in, breathing out. Yeah. Now interesting enough, when we adopt this attitude, we're starting to introduce a quality of non-aversion, non-negativity non-fighting, non-complaining, non-resisting. We start to introduce that. And we begin to sense, this is a pattern, this is not myself. And we begin to sense, other people have this pattern. It's a universal pattern. Everybody, many people experience this. We feel a sense of compassion. Yeah. These qualities start to come in. Yeah. And it's particularly helpful feeling it in your body. Because these chitta sankharas activate kaya sankara. And kaya sankara is the body energies. So if you notice when you get angry or upset, your body feels quite stirred and agitated. When you feel frightened and nervous, it's quite contracted, brittle, tense. So as you just work on releasing and refreshing your body, standing, sitting, walking, reclining. Reclining. Okay. Can you maintain negativity when you're lying down? 
from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. I think it's quite difficult. Because, you know, the sense of support, no pressure, openness. So, we keep returning to the body. If we get the body, Kaya Sankara, comfortable and steady, it's really difficult to get negative Chitta Sankara. Uh, that's the, that's that's the under, that's why the Buddha recommended it. Kaya Sankari said the fundamental thing is breathing. Now, if that is clean and pure, the hindrances can't get in. That's why we do it. And this negativity is a form of ill will, one of the major hindrances. And of course, this is a very prolific and varied form, sometimes it's direct ill will towards other people, more often it's a sense of ill will towards oneself that is so basic we don't even notice it. We just think, well, I'm not really that much. I can't do this. I'm only this. I made a mistake then. I never get that right. Who's talking? Who says that? Well, you know, let's face it, you made a bit of a mess 20 years ago, didn't you? And Roddy, you can't meditate either. (laughs) You're not very good at that. Who says that, you know? It's arati, the force of ill will. Or nobody else likes me. Why should they? I'm not a very nice person at all. Who said that? Well, people are polite, you know, they're polite, but they don't really like me, but they're they're polite. Who said that? Actually, people think I'm a bit of a nuisance, but they're so tolerant, they accept me. Who said that? (laughs) You know? Can you allow yourself to be loved? Is it possible to imagine that? Can you feel love towards others? Can you feel grateful? Can you feel comfortable? Can you feel, oh, that's beautiful what she said. That's really lovely what she did. Not all the time she's fantastic, but that was a beautiful thing he did. That's really lovely. I feel pleased. Can you notice that current? Right? Isn't isn't everybody doing something good? Now, can you notice it? when you do it, when it happens for you. Because this isn't about personally, I'm such a great person. It's acknowledging mind is various. Yes, there's negativity, there's also positivity. Yes, there's defilement, there's also virtues. Let's get the whole picture, let's be honest. We're not such a mess as we think we are. (laughs) Yeah. And then you start to do it and live it, and you say, bear in mind, anamodana, you're patient, anamodana, you're resolved, anamodana, you're not stingy. So you begin to just tune into those qualities that are present. So this current 
doesn't capture your intentions and your perspectives. So this isn't about trying to do loving kindness, this is about acknowledging and acknowledging the good and not being captured by the bad. Doesn't mean there isn't the bad, but we're not captured by it. Okay, there's the fear, there's the pleasant, unpleasant mood, there's the unskillful intention. Step back, that's that. It's only a current, it's only a stream, let it pass. Freeing ourselves from these chitta-sankharas. Because if you start to um, try to get rid of your negativity, you'll increase it. If you investigate negativity as an experience and try to feel what it feels like in your body and give space to it, listen to it like it's somebody else, you begin to develop non-aversion. From non-aversion, compassion grows. From compassion grows, kindness grows celebration of the good grows. So we start turning things around. So the projection of the external, for example, she or he doesn't like me, or the fear, distrust of our surrounding, is this external projection the same as perception in Nama? And it's a, it's, perception is varied, there are many forms of perception, but um, this is one perception, one form, negative perception. Perception is the experience of something, of meaning. Like, that gesture she made means she doesn't like me. That facial expression he has means he mistrusts me. It's an interpretation. Yeah. And get that flash, and oh, that's what that means. That's called perception. And many of them are very distorted because they're only they're only translations, you know. So somebody twists their lips. Does it mean they don't like, or does it mean they're swallowing a candy? <laughs> you know, right. So it's very easy to be deceived by perception. But when we get a perception, and the thing you need to bear in mind with perception is the more convincing it is, the less true it is. The more convincing it is, the less you can trust it. The more convincing it is, it means there's a lot of attachment to it. Perceptions change, they rise and pass. So any perception we have that gets fixed means that something is stuck around that. And even good ones, be careful. Not that there shouldn't be good ones, but how is it now? 
How is it now? How is it now? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we get infatuated or fall asleep into just believing in what our minds present. Because it's always a translation of experience. And based upon that, sankharas arise. So perception acts as the springboard, as the platform for sankhara, which, one word for it, it's, it's activation. Perception mean, is, that means this, sankhara says, because, it, because of that I do this. That means that, therefore because of that I do that. So we form perception of something and that means I do this. The do it bit is sankhara. Right? Some of it's fairly normal, like that looks like a glass to me, handle, pick it up. Right? Right? But look, yeah, you think, well, that's true, isn't it? Maybe. But what if that's got an electric cable stuck in the bottom of it? I get a shock when I pick up the handle. <laughs> okay. So I think it looks like a handle. Uh, looks safe enough. Yeah, pick it up. It's not going to fall off. Yeah. The number of accidents that occur because our perception, oh, it looks good, pick it up. It burnt. Tastes good, drink it. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Or you see someone fall in love and, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Or you look on the, you know, the internet. Wow, fantastic. I'll buy one of those. Boom. Right. Yeah. How did that happen? One click. Right. Because people who sell things understand how it works so you present a nice attractive thing wow got to have one of those yeah do you ever go on those internet things and you suddenly you find yourself buying something that you didn't know you needed and you think I've just bought a second hand car <laughs> and a new suit of clothes how did I do that because when he looked on it the perception was this is fantastic beautiful cheap free great bargain click you know that one click that's deadly that, <laughs> that's sankara it's the one click so you really be careful where your perceptions are what they tell you and just wait a minute not so sure not so sure maybe so that's the wise one and then we'll check it out and we'll check out what it's doing to my heart if my heart is rushing out, maybe I should just hold back on that till I'm a bit more cool and comfortable and clear rather than just impulsive. Yeah? So, perception, sankara, sankara, karma, karma, result, bang. <laughs> so again, someone's talking about... Um, night time I can hold a degree of mindfulness but at night the mind runs amok in my dream I'm aware of the rubbish that goes on in the various emotions I'm inclined towards I'm like a captive audience I cannot seem to stop the thoughts 
or emotions despite knowing they're utter nonsense? Well, yeah, I mean, just knowing intellectually they're nonsense is true. It's, it doesn't necessarily stop them happening because these emotions are not controlled by thoughts. Yeah, emotions are a separate thing. It's a separate territory. The emotional body is connected to the internal body directly, but it's not directly connected to the thought. So thought doesn't touch it. Your body does, but your thought doesn't. So it's very frustrating because you think, this is terrible, stop doing it, but you can't. Because it's not a rational decision, it's, a, it's an emotional quality. Right? And that's bound up with energy. And you can't tell energy not to be there. It's a fact of life. We say, well, you know, I'm able to maintain sati mindfulness a degree during the day. At night, gone. Well, perhaps we need to change or adjust what we mean by mindfulness, and that mindfulness is capacity. And mindfulness is firm establishment. And once again, if you firmly establish it in the body, externally and internally, there's a chance within that to begin to clear these psycho-emotional, somatic (laughs) qualities. That's a a mouthful, isn't it? But it's what I've been talking about. The internal body energy is somatic, emotional, psycho-emotional means it's got a certain, they produce psychologies. And it creates this very tangled mess, weave. Uh, That's what we are with. Uh, Now we can try to adjust our psychology, our attitudes, behaviors. That's good. But it doesn't cure it. Maybe stops you acting upon it. But once you release, then it the emotions still occur. So you can only deal with those primarily through directly the emotional body or directly the subtle body, the internal energy body. So we need to be mindful of those. What is mindfulness of what I call the emotional body? This is mindfulness of chitta, put it another way. And we take our firm establishment upon faith, upon integrity, ethical integrity. You keep returning to it time and time again. See, it's almost like you build up a core quality of things that I do not waver from, integrity. Or if I do, I acknowledge it and return. It's like an emotional balance. So you build that up. Keep returning. Harmlessness. 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 Non-violence. Non-brutality. Non-intoxication. 
non-abusiveness, non-manipulation, honesty, non-gossiping, non-bad thought, speech, just clear. In this way, these are not just about being a good person for other people, this is about giving the chitta a strong emotional center. You You know what I mean by emotion, I mean that which moves you. That which moves you. I am personally, I am moved by people's honesty. It moves me. I am gladdened, strengthened. People's generosity deeply moves me. Yeah. People's resolution, I am inspired by. I'm glad I am inspired by it. You know, I'm emotionally available. <laughs> but what I pick up are those that give me the strength and the support and the encouragement that I need. These form my center. And so when I live, certainly living as a monk, taking it seriously, you just realize how much generosity and trust people give you, you become extremely conscious of maintaining integrity. Because I think otherwise it's criminal. You've stolen people's faith. So you maintain it very strong ethical integrity, be careful, watchful. And you notice the indulgences of the mind or the laziness or the sourness and you stop. This gives you tremendous strength. And it's an emotional strength in terms that it moves and it solidifies and it gives a stable center to your heart. Okay, so can you be mindful of that? When I'm saying that, I mean, can you bear it in mind these are not complicated ideas, I hope. We all know what harmlessness is. Can you bear it in mind and linger in the quality of that? That which loves gentleness does not enjoy violence, abrasiveness, brutality, domineering, callousness. It finds those deeply distasteful. <laughs> Thank goodness we have this. <laughs> okay, so non-intoxication. Don't be so silly, careless. You've got a precious gift. Intoxication, obviously liquor, but anything that just makes the mind irresponsible. Straighten up. Careful. We lose ourselves. So we, when we carry our precepts and understanding like this, it provides a strong emotional center. Okay, so, you know, various crazy emotions come and go. It's like the world. But you're in the middle of that. It's like you're walking in the world. There's crazy stuff going on, but you're not, you're in that track. And remember the world (laughs) is not exactly outside you. Because all these worldly qualities infiltrate and have done so for a long time. We've been plugged in to a very irregular and untrustworthy input. So we're infected. But within that you find that fundamental core and you maintain intention around that. 
So this does require, you know, ongoing sati. But the beauty of it is, if you put sati in the right place, you build it up, and you build it up in terms of your citta, in terms also of your internal body, it begins to actually straighten itself to the point whereby even when you kind of are not giving it attention, it stands by itself. Yeah? Now this is the interesting point. Do we have to maintain constant control over what we're doing? Oh, goodness. <laughs> All the time. Like a nanny supervising us. So do we say, okay, I've set you up, now go take a walk. Okay, fell over there, pick it up, start again. Now take a few more steps. In other words, if we're able to keep returning to that fundamental sanity and health and truthfulness time and time again, it eventually it stands up and walks for itself. <laughs> you know? Through this crazy world that's infiltrated. And the less you get involved with it, the less you concern yourself with it, even your own fears and delusions and jumbled thoughts, the less you make anything out of it, the less energy you give it. Remember, if you give it attention, it takes energy. It, it draws you out. Yeah. If you give it attention, it, it takes you. Yeah. This is something to bear in mind. You know, our, our jitter's domain is full of, if you like, ghosts and demons. <laughs> okay? And beautiful devas. We, what we see with our eyes, our sense consciousness is limited. Jitter is aware of all kinds of beautiful and demonic and crazy stuff. And we have to live in that. Now, a clear person understands this, does not take it personally. We don't know why. We don't have to know now. We just have to know how to get through it. <laughs> and don't get distracted by the hungry ghosts and the demons and the animals <laughs> that prowl around. Yeah. And... That's why we take refuge in Buddha. That's a very powerful word. We chant paritta, protection. And we seek protection and guidance from these hostile forces. So even if they're there, we're not giving them attention. And then they begin to leave us alone. Uh, can't feed on her. Can't get anything out of him. Uh, go find somebody else. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a few topics there, and there'll be some more, and I'll do what I can to try to bring some of these uh, queries into. Uh, what I'm talking about or take through to another question time.